Hi, my name is John Kim. I'm a therapist who went through his own rebirth many years ago, and I've been documenting my journey ever since, sharing my life lessons and revelations. I believe in casual over clinical, with you instead of at you. I come unrehearsed on purpose because self-help doesn't have to be so complicated. You know, in the book, we talk about how happily ever after is bullshit. And um, what we mean by that is, I think as we grow up, uh, we are programmed to believe that once we find someone, um, then life is good. You know, then we've reached the island and then it's happily ever after. And so starting with, uh, you know, the Disney movies as a, as a kid, um, there's that programming. And so we're positioned to take our... Um, a crossbow that's attached to our heart and, and, and just point it and try to find the bullseye. And if we don't find um, the one, then it means that we're, we're, we're less than or there's mm. something wrong with us. And so we go through this world, especially as we get older, because then, you know, enter the ticking clock where we're, we're desperately trying to find um, the one. And so we can be um, happy or, or, you know, headed to happily ever after. And I think it's dangerous. Um, I know for me that has, uh, um, it has gotten me to make decisions that may, you know, maybe weren't honest to me. Yeah. And I think this is actually a really good segue in to talk about, you know, John and I in our, in the book, we talk about in this chapter, we talk about what the idea of the one, um, how that shows up differently for us, right? Like what John's definition, what that looked like for him and then what it looked like for me. So for you, John, it led to ambivalence, right? You want to talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, it led to ambivalence because um, when when you say happily ever after and the one, it means you're going to be with one person. So when you say yes or you commit, that's it, you're locked in. And I get there's something <clears throat> romantic about, you know, the one person forever. Um, and this is for people that are, you know, practicing uh, um, monogamy. monogamy. But, uh, um, but then y- if you do that, then you're taking a black light to someone. So when 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 Vanessa and I met, uh, <laughs> my whole thing is okay. If is she the one, and if she is, I'm done. So uh, let's make sure everything lines up. This has to be perfect, or I don't want it. And that's why I was in and out and in and out and in and, out. and which isn't realistic, you know, because no one's perfect, no relationship is perfect. And then how does the ambivalence show up as behavior, right? Because on my side, the ambivalence, we talk about this a lot in this chapter, shows up as kind of an emotional withdrawal, right? The person going into their head, um, the person kind of like, it's that feeling of doubting, which on the other side, you can totally feel, right? And so then that cycle then creates the feeling of not being safe in me right, which creates me also withdrawing. And so we had quite a few of these cycles in the beginning where until he was able to really put it into words, this reckon, this recognizing that this idea he had in his head of it, the one, was what was creating that pressure, which was causing the ambivalence, which was creating the withdrawal, right, which then was creating the withdrawal of me. And we were able to, I mean, it, it wasn't easy and it took quite a few cycles, but we were able to go, oh, I see what's happening and I see where this cycle is coming from right and where it's stemming from and i think john has had to do a lot of work around this look societally what we have is this idea in our head this fairy tale idea of like the one and happily ever after right yeah and you know this is not as romantic but what's really helpful is um she's the one right now yes and and i know it's not romantic because what are you implying that she's not going to be forever um no i'm just focusing on the here now 
instead of the promise, right? I think that uh, we put too much weight on the promise, the ring, the forever, mm-hmm. um, instead of uh, present, uh, right? uh, present you know, instead of, uh, because when you say um, she's the one right now, you, you now now I'm now I'm like thinking about discovery. I'm thinking about uh, I'm curious. I'm thinking about uh, you know um, how this love experience um, can grow and be different in this moment. When I when I think about uh, is she the one forever? Now I'm checked out. Now I got my checklist. Now I'm in the future. Now I'm wondering, you know, how how can we be X, Y, and Z because we have these differences? And now I'm completely criticizing and not being present. I'm only future focused. And that's why I was checked out in the beginning. Of right. This. And when we were having a couple of these conversations in the beginning, and Lynn, I see your hand. Um, you know, one of the things that John actually said to me when he was struggling was, but how do you know? How do you know? How do you like that came a couple of times? And I, I remember saying to him, I don't. I know right now. And that was a conversation that we had. Like in this moment, I feel good when I'm with you in this moment, I feel like you're the person I want to spend my time with in this moment. Right. And so we had a few of those conversations where I think it, it was helpful for John to know that that's where I was coming from, that I wasn't going, Oh, you're the one forever. Right. I was actually practicing that I was practicing. Well, right now in the present moment, this feels right. And so that's all I can go on. Right. And there's a part of me um, that gets hurt by when I say, well, how do you know? And she says, I don't. Right. That younger version of me is like, well, fuck, if you don't know, then why are you with me? Like there there's this um, ego. There's this uh, other. It's very it's like the inner child thing that feels it, yeah, a lot like an inner child. Yeah. Thing. And it's like, well, if you don't know, why are you with me then? Yeah, you should know. Right. And that's a direct result of the conditioning and the pressures and culture that has gotten us to um, not accept that. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Lynn, please. You have a question. I'm just in thinking through what you guys are saying, how do you balance with the the commitment when hard stuff comes up? Maybe when, I mean, if you're an anxious or you're going to withdraw in that moment of an argument, you might be like, okay, right now you're not the one. Right. So. Well, so that that feels a little bit bigger to me. Now we're getting into like what what my attachment style is going to bring up in me. And right. And I'm sure if you've read the chapter where I'm obviously the avoidant, I get into that space. Right. Anytime I get activated, I'm like, well, fuck this relationships over. Clearly, we're not meant to be right. But here's the thing that is actually on me to own. I've done a lot of work on my attachment style and enough to know that that's where I go when I get activated, right? And so for me, it's really important to pay attention to that thought train that starts and to go, oh, 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 I see what's happening right now, right? Okay, Vanessa, you got to practice working through this. You got to practice, right? And look, you're, that's a really good question because at what point do we know if my my brain is saying no no really this isn't the one or is it really just like my attachment style or my my traumas or whatever speaking right and i don't think there's one black and white answer for that i think it's really for us to say well you know what how about this what part of this activation is actually my shit that i need to sit with and then what part of it do i need to bring up with him and have a conversation with him about um and and it feels a lot like it's it's always a conversation whether it's a conversation with myself or whether it's a conversation like a dialogue between us, it always feels like a conversation. I know if you had asked me that question 15 years ago, the conversation was very cut and dry. Nope, that's it, I'm done. There was no good dialogue, right? And now 
I force myself to dialogue. And usually in that dialogue, I come to the conclusion, oh, that's just the story I'm telling myself. That's just my activated attachment style. We're actually okay. Um, so I know that was long-winded, but I hope that was helpful. <laughs> no, that is. But then does that give John that wondering, okay, I mean, knowing that you're going to handle it that way, I mean, give John always that wonder, well, is, is, is that, is she going to, you know, have that reaction and trusting that, you, I mean, it is more it's long-term. A it's a trust. Yeah. yeah I mean, there's gotta be faith in that. Right. And I think yeah. John okay. knows me. He knows where I go when I, when my attachment style is activated. Like if we're just talking about that specific, you know, topic. And he also knows that I've done a lot of work around it. And he, I, I do believe too, that trust has built an experience. So we've been through this experience enough times to know what the other side feels like. So if we can say, we've been here before, I know how you act, I know how you act, okay, I can be here with you in this, and I know what the other side is gonna feel like, and I trust that you're not gonna bail without us having that dialogue, right? But there's faith in that, for sure. Yeah. That's and, great, thank you, I, take, yeah, I thank appreciate you that. that. My nipples are diamonds because there's an icy breeze that just hit us. But <laughs> you want to go back inside. <laughs> uh, it's not just trust. TMI. It's trust <clears throat> plus check-in. Right. So Dialogue. Right. She has to tell me, hey, you know what? Um, my my uh, I'm, I'm super activated. I'm right running. Now. I'm yeah. activating. And she has I told me bounce. before, yeah. like, yeah, you know, you're being distant and it makes me want to run. Um, so checking in and touching base and communicating is actually what builds trust right yeah. so it's not just okay what i'm going to cross my fingers and trust you know i'm going to fall backwards it. and hope that, that someone catches me it's not just that it's uh it's trust plus um checking in and communicating i think well and here's this is a great that was a great question Lynn, because that leads into okay so we know what the one showed up as for john for me it showed up as you know no conflict no discomfort no accountability right it was like this idea of broad acceptance like in my head, when I went into relationship, I thought the one meant the person that just accepted you, no questions asked. And what does that mean? That means that I don't ever have to be made to feel uncomfortable. No one ever holds a mirror up to my face and makes me look at and own my shit, right? And when I realized I was with somebody who was gonna do that and I was in a different phase of my life, meaning I was ready to do that, um, holy shit, was I activated a lot right because there was a lot of conflict and there was a lot of mirrors that i had to look at and that was something that i did not want to do or at least my my internal system didn't want to do um and so they definitely fed into each other and i think there was a lot of dialogue and a lot of conversation around this is how i show up and this is what it looks like when i get activated this is how you know etc vice versa um what are we going to do about it right like how can i help you in this how can i help support you in this activation and vice versa in um, all my previous relationships, if I would have said, hey, how do you know that I'm the one? I would have gotten che a checklist because you're this, you're that, you're funny, you have you know, you know, have a nice butt, like what are all this? And so with Vanessa, and I said, hey, how do you know I'm the one? And she's like, I don't. <laughs> well, what the fuck? You know, um, but I think in that, in that, like, in that, what the fuck, there's growth, right? And so I had to stop comparing, and this is another big Chapter, piece really. yeah comparing her to everyone else i found myself comparing so i found myself taking this blueprint of the type that i usually date or the, mm -hmm. or how they usually are and then putting vanessa if she was tracing paper on top of that and tracing yeah. and realizing oh wait this she this the, the images are different maybe she's not for me maybe yeah. she's not the one if there's anyone in this room wondering well how do you know if someone's not the one uh when you choose not to love them they're not the one 
I think it's a choice. So John, I wrote this actually down because I love it. John said in the book, this was his quote. He said, love is a daily choice to be emotionally responsible to someone. That's it. Like, period. (laughs) I love that. And then what does... And by the way, that doesn't have to be romantic love only, right? Like that definition can really apply to any love in your life. And that's why I think it's such a beautiful quote. Well, what's the... Thank you. And what's the... What does uh, emotional responsibility mean? Because it's going to mean something different to everyone. Right, like Lucille, for you, what does daily emotionally uh, being responsible to someone mean? What does that mean? I think it kind of means sort of what Vanessa was just saying is like looking at the mirror and like you know looking at my own shit and and being self aware enough to know where I go. I do have a flight instinct. Um, I will shut down. Uh, so you know for me to be emotionally responsible to my partner, I think it's giving him the benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. and um, first, first, and then also just, you know, before I talk <laughs> or say something, I don't mean like really making sure, like seeing where it's coming from in me. And that's been, you know, something I'm still working through a lot now. Like when you guys just said, when y'all just said, um, you know, how do you know I'm the one I don't like that activated something in me as you were talking, I was like, (laughs) um, so I obviously still have stuff to do work to do. Um, Yeah. And I think that the way that we talk about it is really activating to a lot of people. Right. I mean, it's kind of like I always say, and for those of you who don't know me, I talk about codependency all the time and I talk about it in a way and addiction. And I talk about it in a way that's very radical for a lot of people because point blank, we're all codependent. It is the air we breathe. It is the society that we live in. We are raised to believe that codependent love is what love should look and feel like. And I do believe like what John is saying, you know, I I think it was him that wrote this part in the book where we talk about like, we believe there's many, the ones, the one is the one that you choose to love right now. And that's a really uncomfortable idea for a lot of people because it is really hard, if not impossible for us to separate ourselves from culture. It's really hard, if not impossible, for us to separate ourselves out from societal norms and what we've been taught and what we've been told, right? Because it, it's the air we breathe, like I said, in codependency. So, yeah, I feel like you also have to, like, in in that, I wonder if there's a certain amount of either, like, self-acceptance or, like, not fear of being alone that you have to have in order to, you know, when you're on the receiving end of that, be like, okay, if this is not the one then, you know, if it doesn't work out, that's okay. Right. And I feel like, cause like my mind, when you say that even now, again, like immediately goes to fear, I'm in a yeah. fear place. And so I feel like in order to be okay with that, I would probably, and it's funny because I do think that I'm very like self-aware and self-assured, but you know, that, like, I don't know, that's triggered something in me for yeah. sure. So um, how different would relationships be if we woke up every day and thought that um, every day that this person chooses to love me, that is a gift that is not um, expected. Right? It's because not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee, you know? Uh, and no one does that, right? We get into a relationship and we're like, here's what I expect from you. Mm-hmm. You know, this, mm-hmm. that, I expect sex, I expect dinner, whatever it is. Contingency, um, right? Yeah, <laughs> and so um, to look at relationships as uh, a gift. I was listening to, um, I think it was Sam Harris. I don't know uh, who it was, but he said that uh, if you could live, and, and I don't even know if this is possible, where um, knowing that whatever is happening, you know there's only going to be, eventually there's going to be the last of that. So mm. um, there's going to be a last day that I put my daughter to sleep. 
you know, as she gets older, there's going to be a last day that I, you know, have whatever, right? And so uh, in this life, there's always going to be like a last. And so when you look at um, loving your partner, um, it shatters that whole forever thing, yeah. you know? And so if every day uh, it is a gift for your partner to love you uh, the, the, the way that he or she does, and that is not an expectation, but that is a choice, right? It, it is, is a choice and it's something that, you know, is a, is a gift to you, then I don't, there's so much more appreciation in that, you know, yeah, and I, I think agree. it's so, so easy to, to for, forget that, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jess, your hands up. Oh, yeah. Back to the codependency thing. And maybe, um, maybe you are, you do talk about this already, but like, yeah, how do we get it not to be like a dirty word? Like, I feel like we all know that we are in. I'm on a mission, Jess. (laughs) (laughs) It's like one of my missions in life because how do we get it to not be a dirty word? We have to understand that it's how we all show up, right? It's like like a relationship when it even touches that, then people just are like, we're out, you know? And there's so much shame. Yeah, we're all there and we're all touching the edge there somewhere. Right. And what John was just talking about, right, I call it transactional love. And so many of our relationships, it's transactional. And that's a that's a part of codependency as well. It's an expectation. I do this for you. You do this for me. There's an expectation in that. That is codependency, right? There is a codependent nature to a transaction. Um, and so, and look, like you said, we all dip in and out of it. I've been doing this work for 15 years. It doesn't matter. I still show up in my codependency daily, right? So even what John and I are talking about, about this like waking up and realizing, you know, it's it's a choice and like, this is a practice. This is a practice. I still expect from John. There are times, right, where I dip in to my codependent bullshit, right? It's almost impossible not to, um, but it is something that John and I, I think, practice daily. I love that you're saying it's a practice because that also is an openness rather than being like, well, I'm there. And so if I'm codependent, then I can't be in a relationship. Well, and it's also, I'm I'm a codependent or I'm codependent. It's like, so that's a label, right? Just like I'm an addict. Well, guess what? If you struggle with codependency, you also struggle with addiction, right? You're just people please instead of drinking jack and coke it's just a little bit different we can divulge into a whole conversation on that but it really is about the label it's like no i just struggle with codependent behaviors because it's the society we live in right yeah yeah and codependency isn't just uh that very two-dimensional definition that people think the wife of an alcoholic husband (laughs) well or or that you know i'm dependent on someone right it's 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 it's, uh, so much deeper than that yeah and there's different you know spectrums of it and it's you know yeah well here's the thing jess make sure you email john because i've got you on the list now so you can hop into the lab and take my codependency classes and we can talk about this (laughs) yeah i was gonna have you read okay where are you going get the book it's in there. <laughs> Poor Johnny's cold. Um, okay, how about this? I have another question and I want somebody to raise their hand and answer. So I wanna know, because this is pulled from this chapter as well, um, do you find yourself doubting your partner or have you found yourself doubting your partner or relationship when there is difference or when there is conflict, right? So John's kind of idea of the one and my idea of the one, right? Either or. So have you been the person who has experienced that doubt when either there's been that difference or that conflict in your relationship? Who's brave enough to answer that question? Marisol, you're already on the list. <laughs> Kat. No, please. but the question is so good. <laughs> okay, Kat, you answer first and then Marisol, you answer first. Uh, hi there, everyone. Uh, so yeah, definitely doubting, uh, doubting partners and doubting myself and doubting the relationship. I think the moment that 
uh, there is a disconnect between what I'm expecting or what I want, which is especially um, strong for me sometimes because I'm neurodivergent. Yeah. So I have a label of ADHD and uh, some other things. So like I do sometimes experience rejection sensitivity, which means I get very, very like things, emotions feel bigger than they right. actually are or emotions are bigger than is considered to be, you know, socially acceptable. And I've learned outwardly to not show any of it and mask, but inside there's this giant kind of like storm going in. So, uh, you know, and uh, over time when there's a partner who hasn't maybe done as much uh, work on, you know, uh, relating to others with kindness and respect, uh, who hasn't made it like their life goal to ensure that people feel safe and comfortable around them. There builds this resentment and doubt. It's like, okay, well, are they going to, you know, if I can resist uh, from like, you know, if I can, if I can um, tell them what's going on for me without using blaming language, for example, can they do that for me? And in my last partnership, it turned out that no, they can't. <laughs> and uh, I've had to, like, I've had to exit. And yet there is this ambivalence, even sure, though I sure. know that there wasn't really, like, there wasn't really that connection uh, that could work. There's a part of me that wants to run back to that relationship to fix it. And I'm like, nope. Okay. That's like a, that, that's like a therapist part that always wants to fix things. It doesn't <laughs> get to be behind the wheel today. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Honestly, thank you, Kat, for bringing that that into the conversation because, um, yeah, you've got, you know, there's just like a little extra layer that's going to happen for you. And, you know, it, what I would say is like, for better or worse, there's like just that much more dialogue then that has to happen because because you have that extra spidey sense really is what it turns into. It's like you got to just be all that much more clear about like, here's what's going on for me. Here's what I'm struggling with. Here's how it's showing up for me. Here's what I'm hearing when you say this. Right. And then to your point, I was hoping that the other person could do the same, but apparently they can't. And, you know, we can't fix for the other person. And so that's that's the decision that you need to make when you give that person the opportunity to kind of show up in, in a similar way um, and they can't meet you there. Then you get to make that choice of whether or not you you continue to show up, you know, in that partnership. So it sounds like that person made it clear. It sounds like that person gave you that information that they couldn't. I was going to read something and then we'll get to Shelby. Um... Our belief is that we have many the ones in our lifetime. Every person you have loved was the one at that time. The one is the person you consciously choose to love today, not who you used to love, could love, or wish you could love. It's who you are choosing to love right now. As hard or as easy as that sounds, once you choose to stop loving that person, he or she is no longer the one. It's that simple. A thriving, healthy, sustainable relationship is built on more than goosebumps, Notice how all Disney movies end at the wedding. You don't ever see the part where five years um, into their marriage, Cinderella is yelling at Prince Charming to just pick up your dirty socks and put them in the damn hamper for the hundredth time that week. Ending the story at the wedding keeps us from seeing the messy human reality of long lasting relationships and the real work that they take. Mm -hmm. Here's a question to ask yourself. Do you believe in the one? If so, how has that belief affected your relationships? So like we were talking about how the one has impacted our relationships in the, in the beginning. 
um, how does it now or how has it impacted your relationship? So you're programming this idea, this belief that there's only one person for you and you're with this person. Um, how has that affected your relationship? Hmm. Shelby, you can either answer that question or answer the one before, because I know you had your hand up from before. Here, Shelby, oh, there you are. <clears throat> can you remind me of the first question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we were talking about, um, what did I say? I said, do you find your, oh yeah, do you or have you find your, found yourself doubting your partner or relationship when there is either like differences or conflict, right? Yeah, or that's, and that's what I'm in now. We're actually in conflict today. And Fresh. yeah, I'm just, I'm, it's, it's definitely activating because I feel that we're having this problem with intimacy and then separate to that, we're having this problem with communication and taking responsibility. And I just feel probably not the most helpful attitude, which is I'm, I'm 47. I don't really want to start with somebody who's like, he has no answers to any of the questions I ask him. So I feel like with, with our self-awareness being so different, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm like, oh, I could just be out. <laughs> I could just be out. I could just cut because I'm not sure I want to sign up for potential, which has been a pattern for me. And so I was pretty excited about that pattern seeming different, but we're at that four month mark where the mask falls off and I'm just surprised at who's behind it. And so I'm questioning my own intuition. It's like, okay, am I about to sign up for something? I'll throw another two years in knowing that it's going to be a lot of work on my part or do I cut and run now? So, so let me ask you this, cause you said it's going to be a lot of work on your part. When would it ever not be a lot of work on your part? I'm not saying I'm not willing to do work. <laughs> okay. I'm just calling I, out your language. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, I mean, I, I, I have a regular therapist I check in with. I'm constantly trying to fix my um, parent parental modeling. And, and working on stuff like that. My, my therapist made the joke last month and said, I want you to stop reading books about making yourself better because you're not going to find anyone. <laughs> I'm like, that's fair. <laughs> so I don't expect perfection or anything, but it's just really hard to be with somebody who doesn't have any answers to questions about themselves. Like, why did that upset you? I don't know. Did it upset you? I don't know. Well, you didn't talk to me for two days, so something went wrong. Yeah. Shelby, why do you go from four months to, you know, three, four years? What, what about month five? What about month six? Meaning if you see any progress in him or the relationship, um, it, it, you don't have to make a decision now is what I'm saying. Like, I feel like it will play out as you check in with yourself, as you either see stagnation and a person that is not willing to um, grow and evolve and change and adjust, or you may start to see movement. You may start to see little things. So um, the 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 pressure for you to make a decision now, I think. Uh, you, uh, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Because yeah. you said, you know what? I'm four months in. Is it going to be like this in two years? Well, what about month five? What about month six? It may be different. You know, nine course, months, yeah. in, right? So um, I would look at progression. I wouldn't judge and try to make a decision in this moment. Yeah, like that. yeah. All right, Jennifer. Jennifer. 
Here we go. So back to the the last question that was just asked, how, how does, I guess, the opinion or the thought of the one impact your life? And for me, it's been, I guess, thinking the person that I'm with is going to be the one. So accepting bad behavior, mm, um, yeah. accepting a relationship that's not yeah. honest. Yeah. Um, that is how it's shown up. It's just, okay, this is, there's not going to be anyone else. So I have to, right. I have to be right. here and, and right. be in that relationship. So that's the answer to that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, compromising, not only compromising, but, but, um, um, just accepting what is, because this is it. There's no one else. There's it's, going to be no one else like that whole thing. It's abandoning self in order it's a to totally a hundred percent abandoning yourself. Yep. Absolutely. So, so, so I always say relationships are about compromise, of course, but not compromise of self. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a really common pattern in our codependent society um, to abandon self in order to attach, right? And here's the thing, for those of you who have never heard me say this, because I say it constantly, um, bottom line is attachment equals survival, right? When we are babies, we need to attach in order to survive. Okay. And we will do it at the detriment and at all costs. We will abandon every sliver of ourselves if it is necessary in order to attach. The problem is as we grow up and do not need to attach anymore to survive, that's already been programmed into us. And so we will continue to abandon self in order to maintain whatever scraps we can find of attachment, right? Because it is so terrifying, the thought of um, abandonment, the thought of uh, betrayal, the thought of dismissive, the thought, right? All of these things that we were protecting against when we were little stay with us. And so a lot of times the terrifying work as adults become choosing self at all costs, even if that cost equals abandonment. And it is through that choice that we slowly, somebody else was saying like, oh, I'm doubting my intuition. We slowly actually learn to have a stronger intuition, to follow the gut a little bit more, to, to you know, make, I don't know, I don't want to say better choices in relationships, but maybe not make the same patterns. Um, but it's actually in that terrifying act of choosing self and not abandoning self in those micro moments, I like to say that that's usually when that happens. And could part yeah. of it be being familiar, like some of that, you know, from your childhood or situations that you've experienced in the past with the people that you're with is familiar to things yeah. that you've experienced. So a lot of it is, oh, I'm used to feeling like this. So it feels familiar. Oh, yeah. It feels, you know, what I'm used to, which is something you really, for me, I've had to really work on, yeah. you know, what that, it, it, it no longer feels good inside instead of just accepting it. Yeah. Thank you. I'm also going to give you um, a slap in the face, but it's coming from my heart. <laughs> a heart slap. Yeah. Um, most people would rather be in something that is lukewarm or accepting um, um, with that compromise of self than yeah. be alone. Yeah. And to those people, I ask, well, then what are you bringing to the table? Meaning, are you really taking or giving if you're not willing to um speak up express yourself be yourself uh if you're compromising yourself and that's what you're bringing to the table um then then you're not bringing as much as you can does that make sense it's a little abstract i i i'll tell i'll tell a quick personal story really quick because i think this is really helpful because what john is speaking about is basically was me for the last like i don't know 20 something years of my life and I didn't know that I was, but I guess I am. <laughs> um, I had an ex recently reach out years, 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 years later. 
um, to send me a nasty text for no reason, which is always a pleasant thing to get. And he just said, um, I always thought you were a fraud. And at first I was like mad and I was like, you know, fuck this guy, blah, blah, blah. And I sat with it and I said, you know, I'm actually not mad about it because the version of he, of me that he knows was somebody who was so wildly codependent and so terrified of abandonment that I was incapable of showing up authentically um, in any way. I mean, I, I, I did whatever I needed to do. I abandoned self at all costs in order to maintain attachment. Um, and that means I did all of the things, right? Like I didn't rock the boat or I, I don't know, didn't express my needs or I, um, you know, liked what he liked or whatever, all of the different things in different ways. And there's a myriad of ways that we can abandon self, um, put up with bad behavior because I was terrified of, you know, standing up and saying, I'm not tolerating this bullshit. Um, and so I had a real kind of look in the mirror when I got this kind of nasty text where I was like, you know what, to be honest, like there's a little bit of there's honesty in what he's saying. And I'm not saying that you, Jennifer, are a fraud. I'm just saying for me, it was a real like, hey, you know what, I can actually see some truth in what he's saying. And this was very recent. So for me, it was even more of like, all right, there's another layer uh, to dig into the self-abandoning behaviors that I've, I've done for pretty much my entire life. Yeah, it's, so um, I offer that. It's really powerful to uh, label it as label it as fraudulent. Um, I know, I, I, I think it works. And um, um, what I say is, if you're if you're showing up to a relationship um, afraid or hiding or putting things under the rug or or, or not expressing, um, you're, you're you're doing life around your partner, mm. and so yeah. it takes courage to do life with your partner. Or choose not to at all. Uh, right, right, right. And so to do life with your partner means, hey, listen, this is where I'm at. This is, here are my needs. Here, here is how I like to be celebrated. Yeah. Here, you know, and so, which we're never taught how to do, right? And so um, that takes a lot of courage, but that is not false advertising. That is coming to the relationship, not fraudulent. Yeah. Because now you're showing your authentic, your true, your solid self. Yeah. And then your partner can take it or leave it. Right. If your partner <clears throat> takes it, there's going to be adjustment, of course. If your partner leaves it, then that person wasn't, quote unquote, the one. Yeah. Right? Right. It's hard because people don't want to be alone. I get it. Yeah. But if you don't want to be alone, you're also bringing something, uh, quote unquote, fraudulent to the relationship, which is not really you. Yeah. Yeah. And then you could also ask yourself, well, does my partner deserve that, that kind of version of me, mm -hmm. you know? And that was actually part of what I, I put in, in the book. We wrote um, letters to our exes. And actually, this was prior to him ever writing me that message. That was something I spoke to in the letters to the exes. Like, I'm sorry that I, I didn't have the capacity to show up in that way and actually hold you accountable and like walk away when I should have. Right. And all these different things that I, I can now own. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was that was something I really had to like reckon with, you know, how how authentic was I when I was abandoning self for so many years? Yeah, let's end with this little story, um, because we have two minutes. I'm gonna <laughs> Oh God, <laughs> I'm gonna get you some ice cream, then get behind you later. I hoped with fingers crossed that Vanessa would say something dirty or kinky back because, you know, if she did, that would mean that she was the one right. Uh, something to remind me that there was still some hot blooded energy running through our relationship however in typical vanessa fashion <laughs> she said if you get me ice cream uh you're definitely not getting behind me tonight because uh dairy does not you know dairy gives me diarrhea i didn't say that you're reading it wrong oh, uh, dairy <laughs> i never said those words i don't use those words <laughs> dairy does 
give her diarrhea if she wanted to get technical right which she did um if she wanted to get technical they have vegan ice cream there right but that wasn't the point she went left instead of right again i wanted her to go with it give me some sort of flirtatious banter i wanted her to hit the ball back but her response didn't match what i wanted it highlighted our differences again which me which brought me back to the beginning, reminding me that we didn't think the same, flip the same, love the same. Now, these are the moments that I split. These are, these are the moments that I checked out. These are the moments that I was tracing, right? And, um, and then, you know, this was just a couple of years ago. And now today, um, if I say something uh, inappropriate, kinky, dirty, whatever, and I expect her to say something that is that is you know my style expectation she's actually being fraudulent mm -hmm. that's not who she is right if i said hey you know what i'm gonna buy you ice cream and i'm gonna get behind you later she's not gonna turn around and call me daddy or do something <laughs> she's she's gonna be like well let me see if we have time or whatever it is right and i and my adjustment is to accept fully who she is in her truth and then choose to love her or not you yeah. know instead of instead of what i did before which was like oh wait maybe she's not the one because if she was the one she would, she would respond she would take her clothes off or she would get all kinky or whatever it is um and and if she did that and that wasn't her truth she's being fraudulent mm -hmm. right and, and fraudulent is not sustainable yeah behind fraudulent is also resentment and anger and control and manipulation sure which i can talk about all day too sure. from a codependent perspective <laughs> Hey, if you have a passion for helping others and you want to create a more meaningful career or add to your current skill set, it's time to become a life coach with Lumia. When I became a life coach many years ago, there wasn't anything like this. So I developed this program alongside with Noel Cordeaux, Lumia Coach Training. And it's amazing. It's 100% live and online, meaningful, evidence-based education, real people, real community, ICF accredited to with 20 diverse instructors in a thriving alumni community. Go to theangrytherapist.com and click on Become a Coach and explore Lumia Coach Training. I'll see you in class.